Thank you, praise team. You may be seated. I want to, if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles. There's two places I want you to turn this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and also Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Well, our high schoolers uh, returned from Beach House this past uh, Friday, and our middle schoolers are heading out today right after this service. I'll try not to keep you too long so you can get on the road, but uh, anyway, you need to hear what I got to say, okay? But uh, (laughs) if you're one of the middle schoolers and you're going, raise your hand right quick. All right, got a good crowd going. All right, if you were a high schooler in here, you were there last week. Is any, are any of you in the room? Okay, yeah, there's some high schoolers in here. I heard you had a great time, and uh, we hope the Lord really worked in your life. Please know we did pray for you, and we'll continue to pray for you. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're continuing this series today, Flourish. And, of course, the definition of flourish is to be healthy and thriving, to blossom, to be at the height of influence. Now, the reason we chose this title is because I believe when Paul wrote this letter, he was not only addressing the whole idea of how we should flourish as Christians, but I think he saw something in this church that caused him to think, man, I tell you, they really are doing what they're called to do. And and from what I can tell from where I am, their faith is going out. And we're going to see that here this morning. So look at the introduction. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it will become obvious to those around you. And so let's look at what this church, what was said about this church. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 8. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Uh, as we said last week, it's like a trumpet. It, I mean, it was, it was distinct. There was something there. It was definitely heard. And then he says, it sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, these are not cities. These are whole regions. Matter of fact, they make up northern and southern modern-day Greece. And so we're talking about the whole idea of a country. But also in every place. It wasn't just there. What you did went out everywhere. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Matter of fact, we're going and we're engaging people and they're telling us what you did. And it sets a perfect platform for us to speak Jesus into their life. And then he says, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. They're basically saying, what in the world did you tell those people to get them to do what they did? It was amazing. It was amazing that they were able to come up with the money that they came up with to minister to those in Jerusalem. And so basically what they did, their faith was seen everywhere. They saw their faith there in that region as one that was flourishing. Now, look on your outline. This means that from the moment we are saved or you are saved, you begin to build a testimony, which then becomes your spiritual resume. Now, the reason I can pull that in there like this is because I believe what God expects of the church should be expected of the individual. Now, why would we say that? Because the church is not a building, it's not a location. A a church is the people, the people that make up that church. So what can be said to the church can be said to the individual because we are made up of those who are attempting to do all that God calls us to do. Now, you say, why would we use the whole idea of a spiritual resume? Well, many of you know that a resume is a tool that is used in attempting to secure a job. It gives information about a person who's applying for a job. Information such as their name, ways to reach them, personality traits, previous employment, life experiences. 
a, a, a list of skill sets, a list of people who can testify that you are who you say you are and can testify to the skill sets that you've listed. This information, the information is given to a possible employer who will research the information to attest that the resume is an accurate description of the person. Literally, the research will go out and it will go out in such a way to see if the person is who they say they are. Now, I think that means, if we look at that, that's a great comparison as to what our spiritual resume should consist of. It should consist of someone who has a new name. They're not a person that they, that, that they once were. There, there are certain things in their life that have transpired. The, the life experiences of what their faith is doing and the flourishing of their faith and all those. So, so those are things that I think are a big deal when it comes to this. So flourish. When do we flourish? When building a spiritual resume. Now, let's make it personal. What's on your spiritual resume? What's there? Have you ever thought of it? Hopefully your name's there. You don't mind signing your name to it. <laughs> but, but what's in your spiritual resume? What would support you who you say you are? Who could supply evidence that supports you are who you say you are? Really what that is speaking to is the whole idea of your testimony. What is your testimony before others? Now, definition of testimony, it really means supporting evidence or proof, that there's proof there. So when someone says, give me your testimony, here's what many people, here's what they're asking. Give us proof that you are who you say you are. If you're a follower of Christ, give us that proof. Give us the evidence. Help us see that in you. That's what our spiritual resume is there for. Now, there's some conclusions concerning your testimony. And look on your outline. It is the means to how others view you. Your testimony, what goes out, the way you live out your life is how other people view you or see you. Now, when others think of you, have you ever wondered what stands out to them? When they think of you, I mean, have you ever thought about that? I think so many times we're kind of so much into ourselves that we never take the time to wonder, well, what do other, how do other people see me? How do they view me? Well, what does that even look like? Do others speak well of you? Proverbs 22.1 says this, a good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Those who can speak well of you, those who can say, yes, I know this person and they are who they say they are. Secondly, conclusions concerning your testimony. It is the guide to how others respond to you. It's really how people respond to you. Now, here's, here's an interesting question. When others see you coming, how do they respond? <laughs> That's convicting, isn't it? You ever seen someone hide when they saw you coming? Boy, when uh, I knew I was in trouble, there are certain people I didn't want to see. So I went and hid. I, I, you know, I, I didn't like the response that could be coming. So when others see you, how do they respond? Does what you say mean something? What you say, does it mean something? When you say it, can people say, you know something? I can take that as a matter of fact. How about this? Can others count on you? 
I mean, when it gets to the point of people who, by the way, we're called to need each other. Did you know that's what the Bible literally says? We are called to, to, to the point that we, we need each other, to the point of connection. But can others count on you? How about this? Here, here's a good one. Here's a good one. This is when I was in the workplace. This is something that happened all the time. How about this? When someone tells a dirty joke around you, is there a hint of embarrassment that they said that in front of you? I remember working in the secular job. I worked with a group of guys very closely. I was over to a small group of people. I was, I was a grocery manager. They worked under my leadership and, and they knew uh, God had called me into ministry. I tried to live a testimony before them of one who follows Christ and that kind of thing. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, there were times in which, uh, there were times in which they would say something and I happened to be walking by and, and I could tell that, oh my goodness, he heard us say that. And then there were times I felt like from other employees where I felt like they were just trying to see what kind of reaction I would have to what they said. You, you ever been around that? Whatever you can say about either one of those situations, how they're responding, if it's different than how they respond to others, probably speaks well to you. And, and that's something we need to get our minds around. So when you think about your testimony, it's a guide to how other people respond to you. Here's another one. Conclusions concerning your testimony can, can either render you powerful or powerless. Think of this. Your testimony determines what kind of influence you have. Do you have a powerful testimony that God can use you to build his kingdom? Would those around you be shocked if they knew you were a follower of Jesus? I remember one time I was out and we were talking and we happened to know the same person. Uh, this was years ago, so don't sit there and try to wonder if I'm talking about you or whatever, okay? But anyway, uh, I began to speak and, and I was speaking very well of this person and, and they basically said, ha, you don't know that person the way I know that person. And it kind of set me back because the person I knew, I thought was pretty straight up. But in my mind, I thought they had a powerful testimony. But in their mind, they were powerless when it came to their testimony. And I could tell that. And, and, and we need to understand that our testimony is what God uses in the lives of other people. Here, here's one. Conclusions concerning your testimony. Is it the only thing, it is the only thing that survives you? Have you ever thought of that? It, it is. When you think about it, your testimony is your legacy. Think of those legacies that you respect, those that inspire you. How many of you have those people in your life that you greatly respect, those who inspire you? That is, that is a legacy that they're leaving with you. It can be a family member. It can be someone outside your family, but it's that person. Let me give you some examples of testimonies according to the God's word. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to look at verse one. Now, let me just set this up for you. The key to your testimony is your faith lived out. That's what testimony is. It's faith lived out when it comes to a spiritual resume. So, so verse one, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, for by their testimony, the elders, did, uh, I'm sorry, for by it, their faith, I mean, the elders obtain a good testimony. So whenever their faith was enacted, whenever their faith required something of them, that's what went into their spiritual resume. That goes into what we're reading about them today, their legacy, okay? Now, look at what he says in verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. 
and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So what do we take from, from the testimony of Enoch? Enoch was a man who pleased God. How many of you would like, when it's all said and done, your life is over, how would you like for someone to say, here's his testimony, here's his legacy, a person who pleased God? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? It means your life really meant something to the kingdom. Your testimony was up here. Let's keep reading about some other ones. Look at verse eight. Now, again, this is the Holy Spirit putting all this down for us. They're saying these are testimonies that are out there before you. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know what the Bible said? You know what we could read between the lines of verse eight? That God was impressed with the faith of Abraham. God one day said, you need to leave this place to a place I'm gonna show you. He says, well, okay, here we go. That impressed God. How many, of us li- how many of us today could say that we're living a life that, that pleases God? I mean, that, that's amazing when you think about what we're reading here. Skip over to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king or the Pharaoh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Again, what are we reading? We're reading about an account in which God was pleased with what he saw in Moses. Skip down to verse 39. This is a summation of what we've read in chapter 11. All All these, speaking of all those that mentioned, have obtained a good testimony. How did they get it? Through faith but they did not receive the promise. Now that's key. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What what is all that saying? Here's what that says. This this really puts it back on us. What this is saying is those that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, they had to look ahead to the reward. Who was the reward? Jesus Christ. They, 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 They just by faith, they accepted he was gonna show up one day. That he was gonna do what he said he was gonna do. And so they, they had to look forward to something that hadn't even happened yet. But you know what Paul's saying? Or, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews is saying? What he's saying is, now we look back on these things. There, there's greater, there's something greater for us than was, great, than was for them. And yet they were able to please God with their testimony and by faith. And he's saying, we've got it so much better. So much better, that's right. We got the word. We got the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit now indwells man. And so we see all these different things he's given us. So he's basically saying our testimony should be more, even more powerful than theirs. You know, it's funny when we start reading about people in the Bible, we look back there and we think, man, there's no way we can attain to what they could attain to. But you know what I like about the Bible? Even the heroes in the Bible, still, we still see the flaws. You know what I'm saying? David was a pretty impressive follower of God, but we still see his downfall. We still see it. 
And what we can take fact in is the fact that we are living in a fallen world and, and what he's trying to do in Hebrews chapter 11, he's trying to point out these are giants of the faith and they didn't have what we have at our disposal. Our testimony should be pretty powerful when you think about it. So look on your outline. How do we build a testimony? Your testimony is built, look on your outline, by how you handle your problems. How many of you hear at times people who are going through things that you never thought you could go through and if you did have to go through it, you would think, I don't know how, I don't know how I could ever go through what that person's having to go through. And let's just say you're sitting there with those thoughts and you're sitting there and you're like, wow. And then you go and you maybe have a chance to sit down with this person. And you hear them say such things as, you know, I know this is terrible. I just got to tell you, I've got a piece about this. I think it's going to be okay. I mean, I can't lose. I mean, if he heals me here, I get to stay with my family and get to spend more time with them. But if he chooses not to heal me, guess what? I get to be in heaven. I've heard that recently. I've heard that over and over again. And I hear people say that and you say, yeah, they probably don't mean it. They just kind of, no, they mean it. I know these people. And, and this is faith. How, you handle, how do you handle the challenges of life? The obstacles you overcome. Let me tell you this. People are watching us. They're trying to see how will they handle it. Number two, your testimony is built by what you do with your potential. Let's stop here. What, what are you doing with your potential? Where does your potential come from? You ever thought of that? Well, there's some places in the Bible where we can find some clues. Number one, your potential comes in the gifting that you've been given. I believe this because I read it in God's word that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God indwelt me. And when he indwelt me, he brought certain gifts into my life. They could have been there all along, but now they're going to be used in a way to bring glory to God, uh, to build the kingdom. And so what my potential, if you really want to get down to it in scripture, is it rests in my gifting and how God's gifted us. So if you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, here's one thing I can tell you about your situation. Number one, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And when you were indwelt, he brought gifts with him for you to, be, to, to you be used. It may be that of a teacher. It may be that of an exhorter. Maybe you have the gift of mercy or a prophet or whatever it may be. There's so many different ways that God can use different gifts. How about this? How about your resources? Some of you are like, resources? Yeah, your money. What, what, what you have, the finances that you have, what, what you have. What, what he, and here's what you need to know. What you have, he's allowed you to have it, Right? Who gives you the help to have the job? Who gives you the means? Who, it all comes from him. Your resources are a part of your potential. How about this one? How about the influence you've been given? Have you ever thought of that? That, that is potential. Influence. Fathers, today's Father's Day. You know I had to come after you. If you're a father, you have tremendous influence. Tremendous influence. I can't tell you how many people that I've come across over the years of being a pastor where those children, even grown adults, carried it into their adulthood who said that their view of God came from how they viewed their own father. 
If that father was harsh and unmerciful and demanding, guess what their view of God is? Same thing. Is that an accurate view? Not from the Bible I read. How about that father that's a loving father that knows how to build up? that knows how to encourage, that knows how to forgive when he needs to forgive, that knows how to admit his own mistakes. Listen, it goes on and on and on. Fathers, you have a tremendous influence. That is something God's given you as ability to build your testimony. And the, and the, the greatest testimony we can have, listen, is before our children. Here's a good one. How you handle, here it is. Your testimony is built not only by how you handle your problems, what you do with your potential, but what you set as priorities. Our priorities protect us, I believe, from a bad testimony. Priorities, someone has said, are the roadmap to a good testimony. Some of you may be asking yourself, where's my life going? Let me tell you this. If you came and sat down with me, because I've dealt with people for 20-some years now, longer really, and most of you have, but if you sat down with me and we sat down and I asked you and you were honest with me and you told me the priorities are laid out in your life, I can tell you if you have a good testimony or not. I can tell you if you have a powerful testimony. Next, a spiritual resume is a testimony of someone who was converted in the past. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the second part of verse 9 says, He's talking about how the word had gone out and how their testimony was out there before all people. He says, this testimony included and in how you turn to God from idols. Now, Paul was talking about something in their past. He's talking about their past experiences. He's talking about a time before they came to Christ. So look on your outline. Turns to God from sin. That's key. To God from sin. Look at the phrase, how you turned. Now, some of you, anytime I start speaking about the Greek, I know you zone out, you, 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 you know, you're just like, okay, break time. No, you need to hear this, okay? This phrase, how you turn, is in what is called the aorist tense. It's the most fascinating tense of all the tenses, I believe. And when you look at what it means in the Greek, here's what it means. It means something that had happened at a definite time in the past that has effect, effects reaching into the present and that will continue to reach into the future. Your salvation is built on that thought. There was something that happened at a definite time in your past. Let's say you came to Jesus Christ on his terms through repentance and faith in him. And as a result of that, you, there's a something that was started in you that continues into the present and the full awareness of what it will become is out there in the future. And so all that's there. And so he's basically saying, look, these people, they turn to God from their idols. Now, conversion is the turning around. It means you turn to something away from something else. Now, for those who follow Jesus, who have turned from sin or idols, God has a plan for your life. You middle schoolers, you're gonna to go to camp this week. And um, you're, you're probably gonna hear something along the line of how much God loves you. You will hear that in worship songs, this beautiful picture of how God loves us. But God also has a plan. He does. Listen to what he says about us. God's promises when you turn to him. Philippians 1, 6. 
being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until you see him face to face. So here's what I mean by that. Maybe some of you this week will possibly come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're not there, that's our prayer for you. Did you come to know Christ? And as a result of that, he's gonna have a plan. There's something he's gonna begin in you at that moment that he says he's gonna complete. There's gonna be a process that takes place in your life. Second of all, here's another one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, the whole idea of bless you, not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. These are things for those who are, who are followers of Jesus Christ. These are things he has for you. And so when you begin to think about your life, and I hope you will this week, I hope you have the time of your life, but I hope it will also allow you to have time with God to say, you know something, God, I want to put my life before you. I don't know what you have in store for me. I'm just by faith, just like Abraham. I don't know where this is going to wind up, but I trust you. I give it to you. Give him your life. Listen to this, when a person comes to the Lord, they turn, this is interesting, they turn to God in faith and they turn from idols in repentance. Now, notice the progression. Most of the time when we say something, we say we turn from this to this, don't we? Don't, don't we normally say it that way? This is in reverse of what we normally think. And I think it's intended to be that way. You see, here's what I'm convinced. And I got to looking at how I present the gospel. And I think I've been missing something all along. You say, you, you're the pastor. You're supposed to have it right. I'm still learning too, okay? But here's what I'm reading here. They turn to God. Many times, maybe some of you think this way. There was a time in my life when I knew where my life was headed, that something needed to change. So therefore, I turned to God. Did you know that's not biblical? <laughs> you know how the Bible says it? God came to me. I turned to him. And as a result of turning to him, because he was going in the opposite direction where I was going, I turned from those things. So the whole idea of your salvation is bent because here's why I know that to be true because none of us is saved apart from the Holy Spirit showing up. So, so basically there was that time in your life, not where you began to think, oh, something needs to change in my life. I think I'll try Jesus. No, that's not how salvation works. Salvation works at the time the Holy Spirit shows up and identifies something in your life and you see it for what it is and you realize you're apart from God, the one who created you and he has so much more for you and, and, and all of a sudden you begin to look and see the contrast and you say, yes, I'm turning to God. And as a result of turning to God, you're turning away from the other things. To me, that's a big difference. Instead of saying, I need to get things right. I guess I'll, I, I, I guess I'll go to Jesus Mama's been talking about it. Grandma's been talking about it. <laughs> now it's when the Holy Spirit of God shows up and says this, here's God. Are you going to turn to him? And as a result of you turning to him, it really means you're turning away from those things. But it begins with that whole idea of you turning to him. So an idol, what is that? It's anything that is a substitute for the true and living God. It can be a statue. That's how many of us think of it. It can be a thing. You ready for me to be convicting? It, that thing may be parked out there in the parking lot. 
Now, I've seen those cars out there. There's not a whole lot to them, so maybe it's not, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is it can be anything that replaces what God is to be in your life. Did you know that an idol can also be a concept of mind? It can be a way of thinking. Someone has said this, the human heart is an idol factory. Our heart was shaped in such a way that it wants something in its life bigger than you. I think we're all wired that way. I think it's so we would come to the conclusion that we need God, the one who created us. But you know what? Sometimes we find other things other than what God wants for us. We find this, we find that. We find this person and they become that in our life and we do this. But when he says, no, I am the one. And when I am the one, listen, all these other things may be added unto you, but I am the one. I am the idol, not the idol. I am the true and living God. Your heart has the potential to make an idol out of anything. A relationship with another person, with that boy, that girl. Your heart will produce some type of idol if not filled with Jesus Christ. Paul's mission given by Jesus. Listen to what it says right here on the screen. Acts 26, 18. Here's, here was his, he's what, this is what he believed God planted in his heart. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's basically that whole idea that something converted you there in your past. Second of all, a spiritual resume is a testament of someone who's, who is captivated in the present. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the last part of verse 9 says, to serve the living and true God. Now, why do you think it would say the living and true God? Well, part of it means that, that there's others that are out there, that, that, that we placed out there. But he's saying, let's get back to what we're talking about here. We're talking about the true and living God. And he's basically saying, when you do that, you're not wasting your time. <laughs> The word serve here actually is much more than going out to do an act of service. It's really a mentality. Paul called himself in other passages in many places, a slave to Jesus Christ. Some of you recognize the word as a bond servant. That's a slave. And he basically said, I'm not just here to do acts of service for God. I am an act of service for God. That's my existence. That's who I am. And, and here's what we need to understand. We are always going to be a slave to something. Did you know that? We are. We're going to be a, a slave maybe to our bitterness. We're going to be a slave to some addiction. We can be a slave to, to about anything. We, we, we will. We'll be some, a slave to something. So he says, look on your outline, from serving sin to serving God. Jesus said in John chapter 8, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. He really is talking about the bondage of sin, shackles of lust, bigotry, unforgiveness, bitterness, or hatred. You see, many don't realize that when a person dabbles or commits sin, that slavery and bondage to that sin is just ahead. You see, so many times we, 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 we may go dabble in something and we begin to dabble in something. We kind of like what, what that did for us. So we dabble a little bit more. Did you know not far behind that slavery and bondage? You say, well, how do you know that? Again, I've talked to a lot of people and I see it play out in people's lives. 
I've seen things in my own life that have put me in bondage and I had to turn from those things to begin once again to serve the true and living God. I want you to look at John 10, 10 here on the screen. Here's what you need to know, especially those who are just starting out in your faith. Listen to this. The thief, the enemy, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. You say, what does he really want to destroy? If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your spiritual resume. All those people that you have influenced in their life, he wants to come in and maybe it's a good influence and, and, and create a, a destructive way into your life in such a way that it destroys that credibility and influence. And, and, and he won't stop. He just, he just keeps coming with it. But then it says, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The message says it this way. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. It says, a thief, the enemy is only there to steal, to kill and to destroy. I came, Jesus said, so that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. You're gonna find it in me. You see, the bondage of sin or the serving of sin, listen, here's what it does. It makes you feel angry, hollow, and alone. You say, sin, really? Let me just say, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll never be satisfied in sin. There will always be something nagging at you, gnawing at you, to the point that you get frustrated, you live a life of agitation, you say, well, how would you know that? Been there. Been there. Agitation. All those things. And, and you know what? It, it's just anger. It, it's the fact that that sin, that thing that was out there, I thought could fulfill something in my life has left me empty. It didn't just leave me empty. It left me all alone. I felt isolated. I want you to listen to this. I think this is for somebody this morning. Listen to this. Even victims of sin can feel these emotions. Listen to this statement. How many of you ever felt this way? I wasn't supposed to be like this. Ever thought about that? How about this one? This is what you made me become. You ever thought in those terms before? And here's why they would say that. Because you took something from me because you hurt me, because you did this to me. These thoughts can lead to a victim serving sin. You say, how in the world can the victim become the sinner? I see it all the time. I see it all the time because they're so, they're so ingrained. Their mind is just, and they do, they, I wasn't supposed to be like this. So therefore they blame someone. And listen, you, something may have come into your life that totally rocked your world, that hurt you deep with inside, that caused you not to trust again. I understand all that. A part of me has been a part of that. Maybe nothing like you have. But here's what I know about that. It left me angry. It left me empty. And it left me alone. And that's not where God wants you to be. That's how the victim becomes the center is when they harbor and they think, this is what you did to me. This is what you took from me. This is how you hurt me. You did this to me. 
and I get it. And nobody's downplaying what's been done to you. But I'm telling you, and you can identify with this, you know it. You know that those things that you're harboring there have made you angry. You know that it's left you empty and you know that you feel alone in those things to the point that people around you cannot even get close to you. But the follower of Jesus does not have to settle for this. Think about it. From serving sin to serving God. When we serve God, we become beneficiaries of all that he has. Did you notice what the Bible says? Including the ability to have victory over the bondage of sin. So if we are a follower of Jesus and we live as a victim, it is our choice to do so because we've been given what is needed to have victory. Here's another way that people are in bondage. This is just the way I am. They don't believe that God can transform a person. There's other people who've looked into your life and said, you know, you'll always be this way. You're messed up and you'll always will be this way. And you've, you've been buying into that. That's not what the Bible says about you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says you can become a new person. The Bible literally says you can become a new creation. And that literally means something that's never existed before. If that doesn't blow your mind, it, I mean, it tells you, it goes a long ways. So we need to learn to walk away from these bondages of you made me this way and you hurt me this way. I get all that, but somehow we've got to find victory. The Bible brings it. God's word brings it. Look at what he says in Romans 8, verses 31 through 37. I'll pull some scripture out. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It literally means there is nothing out there that can stand against what God can provide for us. That's literally what that means. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. If it is Christ who died and furthermore also is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let me tell you two things about this. Number one is literally when it talks about him dying and the resurrection, him being, it's talking about the power that is available to us. There is power in that. It's transformative. It changes us. It brings us from death, uh, that spirit of death where we're holding on, we're in the bondages of sin to the freedom that can come in that new life. But it doesn't stop there. It says the very one who did this for us is praying for us. Can you even get your mind around that? You say, boy, I hope you'll pray for me. I need some help in this. Guess who got to jump on us? Bible says he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And then repeat this with me, the last part. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You said it, but do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you live like you believe it? When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, you know what? You know what literally it meant? <laughs> he purchased us. He purchased us. It's really the picture of redemption. It's when someone buys something back. It's like God created us. We came into this fallen world. We were so, we were away from all that. And all of a sudden he brings us, he restores us. He brings us back. But guess what? The terminology is that he purchases us. But he didn't stop there. From that point, 
And this is where things go the other way when it comes to slavery and all that. From that point, listen, he not only purchased us, he took it. He purchased us out of something, brought us into this, but then he brought us into his own family. The Bible says now we're adopted. We're a child. So the one who bought us has an inheritance for us. And with it comes all kinds of ways to have victory. Building a testimony requires a life that is captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to hurry. A spiritual resume is a testimony of someone who is committed to the future. Look at verse 10. And to wait for the son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word wait here in verse 10 actually means to wait with anticipation. It literally means living in a wait mentality. Now, let me ask you this. I'll put this verse to use. If you believe Jesus was coming tomorrow around five, how would your life be different? I know some of you immediately, I won't be going to work tomorrow. Wouldn't things change? Wouldn't things change? Wouldn't you wake up in the morning with a whole different mentality? Wouldn't you pursue that day completely different than any other day, knowing that by five o'clock that afternoon, you're gonna be seeing him face to face? What would be different about that day is really, listen, how we need to live each and every other day. That's what this verse means. Living with anticipation that he's coming. The word wait in verse 10 also carries the idea of being committed to look for his return. You see, here's the key. The second coming of Jesus, so many people say, well, when he comes back, that would be the greatest event that's ever occurred in human history. You're, you're right, apart from the death, burial, and resurrection. But let me tell you this. It's not an event. It's a person coming back. That's a big difference there. So a spiritual resume is a testimony someone who's committed to the future, to Jesus from wrath. It says he's just, listen, he brought us from wrath to being a child of his. We were an object of his wrath. Now we're an object of his love. And that's what it said. So in closing, I want you to look at verse three quickly. You're gonna see three phrases there. You see the work of faith is the idea of turning to God from idols. The labor of love is the idea of serving the Lord. The patience of hope is the idea of waiting for Jesus. These are the three characteristics that go into building a testimony and also your spiritual resume to understand that there was a past to you and God took care of it, that there's a present to you and God is now taking care of it. And there's a future that is not uncertain, but is there that he's going to be at in the future. So in closing, here's the application. What is in your spiritual resume? What does it look like? Some of you this morning, maybe you could say, you know, my name's on there. I know Jesus has changed my life. I, man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen him do things in my life. So my name's there. And it's even a new name because he said he'd give me a new name when I came to know him. And, and you know something? There, there's all kinds of lists here. I see the gifts he's given me. I, I, I recognize the resources he's placed in my life. And, and I see these abilities he's given me. And, but, but I got to tell you, I, I, I'm not doing too well with them. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, you know something? I had skill sets. I had all these things available to me. But something happened in my life years ago that I've never gotten over. 
I've been in bondage. If, if I could be completely honest with you, here's the way you'd say it. If I could be completely honest with you, I'm in bondage to what happened to me years ago. And I know when I hold the resume of my life here with the word of God, what I'm reading on my resume is not what I'm reading in his word. I know something's got to change. I know something's got to change. Second of all, does it, does your resume or testimony contain evidence or proof that you are a follower of Christ? And then here it is. Do others see this proof or evidence? If you wrote that on your spiritual resume and we were to call someone that you would, call, that you would put on that list and we would say, okay, we would like to talk to you about this person. Do you see any evidence of faith in their life? Do you see any proof that they are a follower of Jesus Christ? What, if they were to be completely honest, what would they really say? I just want to ask you, would your heads bow and your eyes closed? I don't know what God's doing in your life this morning. I don't know where you are. But I'm here to believe that most of us in this room are settling for less than what's been provided for us. We're settling for being a victim when he said we could have victory. And I don't know where you are in that. Maybe for some of you in this room, you, you have no testimony, you have no spiritual resume because you haven't even started. You, you're just becoming aware that God even loves you. <laughs> and he does. And so when I began to talk about that we were an object of wrath, that's where we were before we came to know Jesus Christ. But now as a result of coming to know Jesus Christ, we've turned, we've turned to him away from these other things. And as a result, we're now living under grace. We're now living under his love. We're now an object of his love. He gives you that. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward if they would. Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we, uh, we're calling on you right now. We're calling on your Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. Father, I thank you for the things that you've shown me this past week in your word, especially these verses and how they spoke to me personally. And, and Father, I thank you for some of the changes that I want to see happen in my own life as a result of being in your word. And I pray, Lord, it just doesn't stop with me this morning. It begins to be something that we could all encompass, that we could all see that we need in our life. And Father, we just thank you for the ability to even have a spiritual resume, to, to be considered a child of God. We thank you for what Jesus did to provide that for us. Father, I pray you take this offering and use it as we continue to, to make you known and to make this message known to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <clears throat> you.